Well, we've been on this journey for a few weeks as we talk about marriage and relationships. And uh, I know it's been a difficult series uh, for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And so uh, thanks for sticking with me. Uh, I know we have all different kinds of people in the room when it comes to this and all different journeys and all different stories. And I know at times it's been heavy. And so, again, thanks for uh, coming along on this journey with me. Uh, Since it's been heavy, I thought we'll start with something a little lighter. And uh, I found some quotes from some kids about love and about marriage. And so uh, there's a lot of wisdom that can come from a little kid. So here you go. Uh, This is from Lynette, age eight. says, dates are for having fun and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. (laughs) Ricky, age seven, says, tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. It's true, it's true. Aaron, age eight, says, don't forget your wife's name. That will mess up the love. Aaron, age eight, says, be a good kisser. We talked about this, have fun, that's good. Uh, Be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. (laughs) That's good, that's good. It doesn't. You're right. right. Natalie, age nine, says, don't say you love somebody and then change your mind. Love isn't like picking what movie you want to watch. Don't say you love somebody and change your mind. Love isn't like picking what movie you want to watch. There's a lot of wisdom that comes from these kids and funny, but how true that is, but how difficult marriage is and how difficult relationships are. We've talked about this. As long as someone will say I do to you, getting married is not the hard part. Uh, being married is what's difficult. Not even just being married, but, but having a good marriage, having a great marriage is what's difficult. And so the hope has been through this series that we'll kind of figure out some commitments we can make to each other. And this isn't just marriages, and so hopefully you've picked that up somewhere along the line. Hopefully somewhere uh, in this series you figure out what it looks like to have a relationship with God and have a relationship with each other, not just if you're Mary, not just with your spouse, um, but we're going to finish up this series today, and then uh, next week, because last week threw us off, we're going to do, uh, start our, our next series called More Than, and so we'll spend two weeks in the series called More Than, and we're going to look at more than a prayer and more than a song together, and then we'll do uh, more than a building, uh, but as we get going and finish up this week, let's just recap really quick. Uh, week one, we said, if we're going to be committed to each other this day forward, number one, we have, what we have to do is we have to seek God. For many people, we think, if I could just find the one, the one who will satisfy, the one who will complete me, the one who will make me happy in every area of my life, then I'll be okay. And we think we find that person, and then things don't always work out like we want them to, and then everything kind of crumbles. And, and let me say this, that is a heavy weight to place on someone. It is a heavy way to put on someone to supply everything that you need. It is crushing. And so what we said is Jesus at one point says, look, the most important thing for us to do is to love God with everything that we have and to seek God first and foremost. And so then I challenge you to begin to seek God alone, but then to seek God together with your spouse, with your family. But, but number one in this whole journey from this day forward is to seek God. And then number two, we said to fight fair. You're going to fight. We're broken people, we have difference of opinions, we get tired, we don't feel good, we, we get disturbed by things, and so we're going to fight. And so the goal was, well, how do we fight fair? 
How do we figure out how to be good at fighting? How do we put down the gloves, if you remember? If we put down the gloves and we don't just consume ourselves with winning when we fight, uh, but we care more about our relationship when we fight. And so just real easy, I said, look, we're going to do three things. We're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. A lot of things will change in your life if we're able to do that. And then week three, we said we're going to have fun. When you got married, the idea, I hope, was that you were going to have fun. And so we talked about having this face-to-face fun, side-to-side fun, and a belly-button-to-belly button fun, that we want to be intimately uh, involved with one another, and that that's important when it comes to marriage. And then week four, last week, we talked about this idea of staying pure, that we don't want to give sexual immorality even a hint into our life, that we'll fight against anything that would get in the way of our relationship with our spouse, really in the way of our relationship with God. And then this week, we're going to say that we'll never give up. That we'll never give up. Now, even in saying that, I know for some of us in the room, uh, you've been divorced, you've been divorced uh, multiple times. We've all been impacted by divorce somehow or another. Either your parents, your children, uh, a good friend, coworkers. Div- I would guess that none of us are without the impact of divorce. But let me say this. I'm not going to assume anything about your divorce. I'm not going to make any assumptions. That's not fair. And so I don't know. Uh, You may have worked really, really hard at it. And the other person just wasn't willing to make it work. I'm not going to assume anything about it. Maybe you had your own thing to carry in it. Maybe you just made a mistake. Maybe you realized that, no, we should have never gone through with it. I I don't know, but I'm not going to assume anything what we're going to do today, and I know as we talk through this, some things may rise in you if you've gone through divorce, you know anybody, or you're, you're a child of divorce. There might be things that stir up in you, but, but even the name of this series is From This Day Forward. So no matter what it's looked like in your relationship, from today on, this is what we're going to strive um, towards. So these are the things we're going to commit to. <clears throat> And so even as we say that, uh, some of you may feel like you're completely alone in this. I've had those conversations. Look, I'm trying. I'm doing everything that I can, and the other person isn't. And so you may feel alone. You may feel like you're really trying by yourself. But let me say this. You're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, we're going to hear a story at the end uh, today, but a part of their story is they, they kind of reached out to some people, and they realized that they weren't alone. You're not alone. Uh, several years ago, uh, a couple of buddies and myself, we ran a marathon, and uh, we, we went on this journey, and we, we trained for months, and then we went to Chicago, and we ran this uh, marathon, which is 26 miles. It's crazy. And so uh, leading up to it, I had some major knee issues, and I was really fearful of even being able to, to finish. And so uh, I ran with my two buddies as long as I could, and I kind of got uh, away from them. They took off from me, and they left me. And uh, I was uh, running along. And the thing about the Chicago Marathon is there is 1.5 million spectators who watch the Chicago Marathon. And so for 26 miles, there are rows of people who are cheering for you. And doing some research, they said what you need to do is you need to write your name on your bib. So everyone who runs wears this little piece of paper and it's got a number on it. And they said everyone needs to write their name on the bib. And the reason for that is because as you run, people will yell out your name. And people say, Kyle, you can do it. You can do it. And there was something about hearing someone yell my name 
There was something about hearing someone encourage me and enough that it made me finish. One of the hardest things I've ever done. And so you might be in this moment where you feel like it's the most impossible thing that you've ever done. That you feel like it's completely hopeless. You, you literally might be on the path towards divorce. But, but hear me saying your name today. To not give up, not yet. To, to give it another try to keep going. Because I honestly believe with God's help that we really can not give up. But let me say this. I'm not just talking about divorce today. Because there are a lot of people who will just hold on and survive until they die. But I really believe God wants more for our marriages than that. And so never giving up. You could stay married forever, but don't give up on your marriage. Don't, Don't give up on the intimacy. Don't give up on growing with one another. Don't give up. And so the goal isn't just to to grin and bear it and have this horrible marriage and then eventually someone dies you're like, yes, I made it. That's not the goal, all right? That's not the goal. I want more, I want more for my own marriage. I want more for your marriage. And so what are we going to do? How can we actually do this? I want to give you three things, three things. Uh, one, and this took me forever to figure out how I wanted to word this, um, but, but here's, here it is. Love forgiveness. Love forgiveness. If you want to never give up, you have to learn to love forgiveness. You know, I was thinking through, I was like, choose forgiveness, work towards forgiveness, but like, you have to love forgiveness. You have to love what forgiveness does for people. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. says this, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power of love. When we f- quit forgiving people, especially our spouse, it's amazing how you start feeling like you don't love that person anymore. You become kind of heart-hardened towards them. So we have to learn what it means to love forgiveness. Ruth Graham, uh, who's married to uh, Billy Graham, this, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. If you know people who've been married for a long time, this probably comes out at some point. They've hurt one another a lot. They've made mistakes. But somewhere in the conversation, they'll probably say, look, we've learned to forgive one another. If we're going to not give up, we have to choose forgiveness. So the goal is to fight fair when you fight. But when those things come up, when we hurt one another, what happens afterwards is really, really important. How do you pursue one another after you hurt each other? There's been bad decisions, poor choices of words, uh, your spouse not coming home when they need to. Uh, They've done something major that has really hurt the trust in the relationship. Things have happened, I know that. But we have to learn what it means to love forgiveness. And so I know that you feel like they owe you something. If someone hurts you, you feel like they need to do something to repay you that they owe you. And maybe they do. Maybe they owe you an apology. Maybe they uh, need to quit giving excuses. Um, But in a relationship, specifically a marriage relationship, the goal, the desire for us always needs to be forgiveness. We, We should always be moving in that direction. Especially, and I know not everyone in here is, but especially if you're a follower of Jesus. 
if you follow Jesus, then forgiveness should be a definition of who you are. It should define us. So, so listen to this. David, who writes a lot of uh, what we know as the Psalms, uh, we're going to look at something he says. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There should be one around you that looks like this. Uh, that's yours to take. There'll be page numbers um, for that Bible if you need a little help. But here's what David says. David's going to give this explanation of who he thinks God is, who the Lord is. And this is what it says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Look, there's this connection that says, look how great God's love is for us. And then it goes in, it says it's so great, he's removed the mistakes, the sins away from us. As far as the east from the west. There could be no farther measurement from where the sun rises and the sun sets. That's how far God has removed our mistakes. Some of you have experienced that. You know what that's like to, to know that God has forgiven you. If not, I, I really hope that at some point that you will. That, that you'll understand that your sin is not too great. Your mistakes are not too great. That God's grace is available to you. That he will remove them because of his great love for us. So then us too, we have to figure out our, our great love for one another. Then forgiveness plays apart. And so what forgiveness really looks like is we don't hold on to things. Look, we did a whole message on this a few weeks ago in a series called Reset. Uh, all of our messages are on YouTube. Uh, I'd encourage you to go back and to listen to that one. It's week four of Reset. I spent a lot of time talking about forgiveness. But I've just dealt with enough marriages that this is one of those key points that someone in the relationship gets to a point where they just can't forgive anymore. They can't forgive. Uh, listen to this. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. It says, so, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus is saying, look, he's talking to the, the Jewish people. And the Jewish people would come in and they would have these sacrifices. It would be a lot of different things. But at some point, they would come in and they would offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says, look, if you're doing that and you know someone has something against you, it's better that you don't offer the sacrifice. It's better if you don't just go through the motions. It's better if you don't just paint this picture of who you are. Go and take care of the relationship. So a lot of us, this probably happens a lot of Sundays, Something happens Sunday mornings, there's an argument, you, it's difficult getting the kids together, you lose an hour of sleep, anybody this morning? And so this morning's rough, and we come in and we put on a smile, but we know the person we're sitting to, things were rough this morning. And Jesus says, look, this is what matters, this is one of the most important things, before you just come in and present yourself all put together, you should make sure you're reconciled to each other. 
You should be forgiving one another. Before we just go through the motions, if we are going to commit to this, if we're never going to give up, then we have to begin to love forgiveness. Even if it means forgiving what seems unforgivable. It's hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say just say a couple of words. It's really, really difficult. But look, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what's been done for you. Do you think you deserve your forgiveness? There's like certain levels where you're like, well, God, it's easy for me to accept because I know I didn't cross over into the really bad ones. No, no, no. We've been separated from God because of it. And God's great love, he forgives us. And so for us, we have to learn how to do this. We have to work towards it. Lots of conversations, lots of strength needed, uh, given to us by God. But if you want to make it, if you not want to just make it, but if you want to have a great marriage, you'll learn to love forgiveness. Number two, you've got to get rid of the contract. Get rid of the contract. Uh, Jesus has this encounter, Matthew 19, 3 through 6. It says some Pharisees came to him to test him. They were always trying to set Jesus up. It says they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Let me say this. When, when this was being asked, women were seen as property. Uh, just like any animals you had, they were just seen as, as property. Basically owned them. So a husband would basically own his wife during this time. And if he ever got to a point where he said, I don't want you anymore, it was okay because they were just seen as property. So this is where the question is coming from. It says, haven't you heard, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one Flesh, right? So for a couple of weeks, we, we did this little picture and we said, look, this word united literally means glued together, right? It's in Genesis, it's in the very beginning, and now Jesus is referencing it. And what's really funny is he, he asked them if they've read it. But if they were Jewish, they had memorized it. It's not that they had just read it, they, they memorized it and they knew it. And Jesus is like, hey, I think you've read this before somewhere. That the two are going to become one. They're going to be glued together. Never meant to have been separated. He's going to say this. Verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Ultimately, that was the plan. That was the plan. That a man and woman would come together and be united and be glued to one another, never trying to separate. It just, it's not the plan. But look, we, we know in our lives a lot of things don't always go uh, as planned. It's not just divorce, but it's how we use our money. It's how we run our business. I mean, there's a lot of things. It's not just marriage that we've seen God lay out, but there's a lot of things in our life that we see this is what God says and then we don't do it. So I'm not just picking on this one thing. It's just a part of it. But Jesus, I feel it coming from his heart saying, look, th this is the plan. 
These guys were stuck to the law, and could they have done it? Yeah, but, but Jesus is saying, look, the, the plan is that it should never happen. That, that the two are one, never to be separated. But here's where these guys were coming from, as they saw it as a contract. And they said, as long as my property, my wife, does what they're supposed to, then I'm good. I'm good. And so a lot of times marriage is seen that way. We, we enter into this contract and we say, as long as I still love the person, as long as they do what they're supposed to do, then I'm in. And we've signed a contract for it. But, but this isn't what God had planned. A contract is built on mutual distrust that limits responsibility and increases rights. If you've ever rented a house, if you've ever leased a car, all of us in here have probably at some point signed a contract. And what you, the reason that is is because you don't know the person and then the person doesn't know you. And so it's a lack of trust. And so what you want to say is, well, I want to make sure that everything's going to go okay. And then if you don't hold up on your end of the agreement, then this is what's going to happen. And it also limits responsibility because I have an out. If I own a house and I'm leasing it to someone and they don't do what they're supposed to, then they don't have to live there anymore and I keep their deposit. But both parties have a a part to play in the contract and at any point one person breaks the contract, then there's an out. And so for a lot of people, that's kind of how we see marriage. As long as it still feels right, as long as the other person does what they're supposed to, then I'm in. But my hope is that we'll begin to see marriage as a covenant, not as a contract. In the Old Testament, this is what would happen. When a covenant was made, this promise was made, they would take these animals and they would cut them in half. It was called a blood covenant. And they would cut these animals in half and they would divide them and then they would walk through them. And they would say, if I break my end of the deal, let this happen to me. That I'm good for it. That it doesn't matter what happens to the other person. It's about me. And me doing what I'm promising to do today. That's a covenant. And we have a covenant God. This promise that God has made to us, it's based nothing on you and your good works and how good you are. It's based completely on God's grace and what he's done for you just a little side note just fast forward to when jesus goes to us goes to a cross it's the new covenant and his body is broken and he sheds his blood for you and he does it and makes a promise for your forgiveness and so for many of us we we need to get back to the idea that marriage is a covenant not a contract And if you are married, you probably at some point said vows in your marriage, in your ceremony. Now, this isn't what they said, okay? I'll just, uh, for myself, my wife's name is Heather. This isn't what I said. I take you, Heather, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward when things are going really well. As long as things are going well, I'm promising this. When we have enough money, And finances aren't a stressor. That when you're well and not sick. My uh, grandparents were married 65 plus years. And my my grandfather uh, developed uh, Alzheimer's really, really bad. 
And my grandma would go and sit with my grandpa even when he forgot who she was. That's the promise, not just when you're well and not sick. Uh, as long as you take care of yourself and look like you did when you were 20. And you don't change. Uh, I had a little bit of hair when we got married, so Heather didn't realize I was going to be bald not too much longer after that, but she's in it. Uh, as, long as, I, as long as I feel like it and life isn't difficult. Like that, that's not, I don't think you said that. I don't think you said, this is what you said probably. I take you to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. You made a covenant with someone. The promises you made to someone was not based on what they were going to do. It was based on the promises that you were making till death was to separate you. And that it ends with this, so help me God. Now that so help me God is not a, oh man, so help me God. It is a, it is a, it is a God help me. It, it is this, it's going to be difficult, so God would you help me to do this. And some of you would say, look, I've tried. I've got nothing left. I'm doing my part in getting nothing in return. And I know that, and I'm sorry. Because I know that when you signed up for it, that's not what you signed up for. But if we could go back to week one, in the midst of you wanting to quit, seek God. And you are, I know. Continue to seek God. Continue to try and fight fair. Continue to try and have fun. Continue to fight and stay pure. Paul says this in Romans 12, 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you, the power of one. The power of you doing what God has called you to do is what God is asking of you, not of your partner. You continue to fight. Last thing, number three. Sow the right things. Sow the right things. And so we're going to begin to love forgiveness. We're going to get rid of the contract, and we're going to sow the right things. Uh, Paul, who plants these churches and writes them letters, he says this in Galatians 6, 7, uh, and 8. says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What's he saying here? Well, what he's saying is if you sow good things, the odds are you're going to reap good things. So let's just look at our marriages. If you are self-seeking and you sow the seed of selfishness, then you're going to reap something from that. If you sow the seed of mistrust, then you're going to reap something from that. I have a small garden in my backyard. It's about that time, and I'll, I'll go out and I'll work it, and I'll plant some seeds. Now, here's, won't, here's what won't happen. 
I'm not going to plant a zucchini seed and then wonder what's going to grow from it. There's this expectation that a zucchini plant's going to come up. I'm going to plant some peppers and tomatoes. I'm going to plant these things, and I'm going to know what's going to come up. And I'm going to work it, and I'm going to water it, and I'm going to take care of it because I know it's going to produce something. We have to begin to learn that, that our actions, what we sow, matter. And so we hold responsibility for ourselves in that. And so you have to ask yourself, what, what's my responsibility in this relationship? Am I sowing good things? But not only is it important to sow the right thing, but it's important to sow in the right area. And this is what I mean by that. If you are giving too much energy, time, resources outside of your marriage, then you're going to reap something from that. And so we talked about seeking God as our, our one, but number two, if you are married, should be your spouse. And anytime something comes in the way of that, it's going to have an impact on it. So anytime you love your job more than you love your wife or your husband, it's not good. So you need to sow into your relationships. You can't expect to work uh, too many hours or, or do too many other things, your hobbies. Like who cares if you're a great golfer if your marriage is falling apart? Does it really matter? And so anytime something takes the place, and then the really hard one, and, and the statistics, let me say this, you are more than a statistic, Okay? So there's all kinds of stats. I could have thrown all kinds of divorce stats out, but, but as a follower of Jesus, we're way more than statistics, okay? Uh, but but, but here's, here's what I know. Is that if you're not going to take care of your, your relationship, if you're going to sow somewhere else, it's going to be difficult. And one area we have to pay attention to is with our kids. And what I mean by that is if the kids, if your kids take the role of your spouse, it's not good. It's not good. And here's what often happens is you raise your kids, your kids leave, and then you look at your spouse and you think, who are you again? And so it's important that your spouse becomes two and you sow into that relationship. You're going to reap something from it. And let me end with this before we watch um, a, a couple's video. Verse 9, Paul then says this. It's like Paul knows you're going to sow and you're going to reap, but at times it's not going to feel like you're reaping as much or what you want. He says this. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep sowing. Keep taking care of it, and at a proper time, believe that you will reap a harvest. Well, I want you to hear uh, from a couple who's a part of Trinity and kind of their journey um, and their marriage at this time. <laughs> 